Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you all for tuning into Bible Deliverance. This morning, I want to get right into the Word of God, so let us pray. Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we thank you, O God. We thank you for granting us another day. We thank you for waking us up this morning, oh God. We thank you for keeping us clothed in our right mind. Lord, we come before you today with our hearts and our minds and our ears open to receive your word. And Lord, I come before you asking that you shut down every spirit of flesh, oh God, and that you use me for your glory, that you let your word come forth through me. I give you honor, O God. We give you honor, O God. I give you praise, O God. We give you praise, O God. As we say amen, amen, and amen. I know some of you likely read today's topic, Not a White Man's Religion, and it may seem a bit radical. Still, it is a truth that needs to be elevated as there are some religions and sects and cults rising up on the premise that Christian doctrine is a white man's religion. Every now and then I will get a question through our website. You know, we have a igotaq.com where you can sit, submit questions anonymously. And I got a question about Christianity in relationship to it being a white man's religion. And Every now and then I'll get a question and God gives it to me And he keeps speaking to me and he keeps coming after me for me to deliver it as a Sunday sermon. Whereas on other times I can do it just on our Good Morning Truth in those first little five to seven minutes. But I really wanted to dive into this because it has become such a widespread plague and uh, tagline that Christianity is a white religion. And because this falsehood is leading our youth astray and causing people to denounce the very principles of the wills and the ways of God, we as believers are called to shed light in darkness. And as one who is commissioned by God to spread the gospel and teach the truth, I cannot let this falsehood go unaddressed. There are references made about the widespread depiction of Jesus as a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I will address this in depth a little later. But it amazes me that all of the oppositions, and I get a bunch of them, you know, when you allow people to submit anonymous questions, you get all kinds of things. But again, it amazes me that all the oppositions to Christianity never have really anything to do with the will or the word of God, nor the examples and the ways that Jesus walked out his life on earth. Every opposition concerning Christianity seems to stem from two mute relationships with God. The first mute relationship is one who is exalting or setting examples of ungodliness while laboring in Christianity. The second muted relationship is the one denouncing Christianity based on another's lack of relationship with God. This is all equivalent to the blind leading the blind, with neither picking up what is designed to be a lamp unto our feet, which is the literal word of God. 
Not only is the falsehood of Christianity being a white man's religion being promoted and accepted out of the fatigue of people who have been oppressed, but on the flip side of the same blasphemous coin are those who because of the color of their skin being of a whiter persuasion assume that they are purer or more righteous than those of darker complexion. And it's because of this disillusional mindset that oppression, racism, and even dysfunction and political agendas have upset nations, disrupted peace, and negatively impacted generations. Again, the blind leading the blind and exalting muted relationships with God. We are about to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And please get off your high horse because it does not matter what day he was actually born. It does not matter whether it was in December, May, June, July, August, all the days belong to him. But the fact is a day has been set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Hold your horses. I'm not blind, nor am I ignorant to the commercialism surrounding this celebration that is supposed to be all about Jesus. Let me inform you today that neither of us will have to stand before God and give an account or be judged based on the actions, reactions, commitments, or lack of commitment of anyone other than ourselves. My point is this. Do not allow the commercialism of others to taint what you should be doing as a believer. What believers should be focused on is being light in the midst of darkness. What believers should be focused on is setting an example of what celebrating Jesus should really look like. We know that commercialism of Christmas is out of control. The big question is how is Christmas celebrated in your house? If you have chosen not to celebrate it based on the commercialism of the masses, that's fine too. But another big question for you is what day or days have you exclusively set aside to shut down to just celebrate Jesus? Or do you not even deem him as worthy? Hmm. I'm just asking. Sometimes we can become so spiritually deep, so intellectually informed, until like my grandmother used to say, so heavenly saved until you're earthly, no good. The mere mention of the word Christmas literally means Christian mass. Christmas, despite what the world says, and how the world celebrates it as believers, we already know we are not supposed to conform to the ways of the world. Christmas for every believer should be about a time of spiritual reflection, focused on the foundation of the Christian faith in celebration of the birth of the Christ child, Jesus. What are the traditions and rituals that you exalt in your household to give honor and celebrate Jesus. I remember when my children were smaller and they always had tons and tons of Christmases, I mean, I mean presents for Christmas. But before they opened a gift, we always 
read the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because I wanted them to know that even though you have received gifts, it's all in honor and in celebration of Jesus. And now my kids are living in different cities and states and I still have one that is home with me and celebrates Christmas with me and she's 23, 24 years old. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> She's going to kill me. But in any case, she still wants to read the story of the birth of Jesus every Christmas morning. So don't get caught up in what other people are doing. You don't have to give an account for them. What are you doing? What's going on in your household? I urge each of you to stop trying to be so deep and be determined. Determined to take advantage of every opportunity, however it comes, to be light. I encourage each of you to take advantage of every opportunity that's offered to you to spread the gospel, to be intentional about setting godly examples of how life should be followed when honoring God. Trust the commercialism of the masses is not what you will be held accountable for. It is what you do or don't do, what you say or don't say, what you set an example for, or what you choose to ignore. Because what you choose to ignore ultimately gifts wraps a gift for Satan. For he delights in us sitting dormant. He delights in us bickering amongst one another about insignificant things that don't exalt or support our relationship with God. Okay, that little Christmas insight was a Holy Ghost sidebar. It was not intended to be part of today's message. But when you pray and you ask God to shut you down and to use you for his glory, he does. But let's move into the message. As I talk to you today about the tagging of Christianity as a white religion. Christianity, if we were just really honest, it is something that I have had in my life since before I was born, so I know it well. And in itself, it has a lot of things that lean on the side of ungodliness, blasphemy, and inconsistencies. This is why Jesus never came to start a religion, but to invoke in us, ignite in us the importance of establishing a relationship with him establishing a relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. We tend to allow ourselves to get caught up in religion over relationship. And it's so easy to become derailed because establishing a relationship requires work. It requires time, an intuitive nature, shared interests. And because of our humanistic carnal minds, We have accepted the ways of the world as priorities in our lives. Our perspectives concerning God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus drive us to think, operate, and sustain an attitude and perception that is based on religiosity, which is a man-made dichotomy that Jesus himself despised. Read the scriptures. If we operate as committed vessels, 
desiring a relationship with God, we will make time to sit down and get to know God. We would sacrifice time to be in his word, which outlines his will and his way. We would never ever settle for being in a relationship with someone where we only talk to them once or twice a week within time blocks of two hours. That is exactly how some do God. As they gladly pat themselves on the back because they showed up for church on Sunday and they chimed in on Bible study during the week. And some say, I pray every day and I don't miss my good morning truth great. But prayer is about asking. And spiritual encouragement is about a third party helping to guide and direct your path. But in a relationship, do you not require intimate time? I'm just asking. In a relationship, do you not want to get to know the person for yourself? Are you satisfied with everything you learn about that person coming through a third party? Until setting aside time in the Word of God to study the Word of God becomes a craved habit. You have not established a relationship with God, nor are you in relationship with God. Now, God may be in relationship with you, but if we be real about it, you're treating God like a side chick. You know, in a relationship, each person does things to please the other, dresses up hoping the other will notice how nice they look. Each one out of love or passion seeks approval in some way, shape or form from the other. God is very clear on how we can gain his approval. In 2 Timothy 2.15, his word says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice what the scripture is conveying. God's approval is based on our commitment to study, showing that we want to be in relationship with him, that we desire to be in relationship with him, that we know him, that we can rightly divide his word of truth. You know, it's a sad commentary when you see two people who look like they're so in love in such a perfect match. They're supposed to be in love and supposedly know each other. But then issues and questions and conversations come up and it's clear that they don't really know each other at all. Pay close attention, watch. Because then you will also notice that as these things unfold, they begin to snap at each other because they're now embarrassed and ashamed as their loving facade has been exposed even to them. God is essentially saying in the scriptures, study, show yourself approved and you will not be ashamed. For because you have studied my word, which is truth, you will be able to rightly divide the truth And it will be evident that you are in relationship with me. It will be evident that you know me. The only way to make sure you are not deceived by religiosity is to know the truth 
for yourself. I remember years ago meeting an FBI agent and he specialized in the counterfeit money department. And I asked a question I wanted to know. I said, so with all these different counterfeits, so you have to study all these different counterfeits to know? And so he was like, no, why would I do that? And he revealed something very, very um, mind-blowing to me. He says, if you ever want to disclose a counterfeit, study the truth. So he says, we study, we are trained to study the real money so meticulously that it's hard to get a counterfeit by us. And that's how we need to be with the word of God. So meticulous in our study that it's hard to get a counterfeit by us. It's hard to make us accept something that's inconsistent. Christianity is a religion, and there's nothing wrong with religion in all actuality. For it is simply the gathering of like minds, which is confirmed in Hebrews 10.25, which tells us, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Think about it. If doctors didn't come together and collaborate, medicine would not be as advanced as it is now. If the tech geeks didn't communicate and put their heads together, we would still be using snail mail to communicate with those outside of our immediate reach. The internet that you are listening to my very voice on now would not exist. My point is like-minded individuals come together and it is essential for the progression of anything that's worthwhile. Take note, the scripture says, we gather to exhort one another. If we fail to gather to exalt one another and to set plans in motion that align with the word of God, we will never walk in the dominion that is part of God's divine plan. You know, the essence of the prayer Jesus taught the disciples is rooted in the words, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is dominion as it correlates with God's divine plan. God's plan is not talking about self-centered control. It's not talking about superficial power or even wealth as we define it. We are charged to be accessible for God to use us to bring forth his kingdom on earth. You know, Jesus prayed for believers. And while we are so focused on ourselves, so focused on our plans, what we want, our agendas, and going to heaven, but Jesus was more concerned with the impact that we would have right here on earth. In John 17, verses 15 through 17, Jesus went to God and he uttered these words. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. The mandate on the life of every believer is that we live out our lives in this world sanctified, set apart from the norm of the world, always being light in the darkest place and using the word of God as a lamp unto our feet. Where Christianity gets a bad rap is when it strays away from the seven principles of Christian doctrine. Let me tell you the difference between Christianity and Christian doctrine. Christianity is a religion composed, compiled, and collaborated by men, which means it can be flawed and is subject to change. Christian doctrine is the word of God, which is inerrant and unchangeable, regardless of the trends, regardless of popular opinion, regardless of personal preferences, or who holds what earthly position, the word of God will never change. Religion goes left when you have people collaborating who are more committed to the gatherings than to the word of God, who have spent more time planning events than planning how the actions, reactions, reach, and teachings align with the word of God. These are the seven principles of Christian doctrine that every Christian religion should abide by. Number one, believe in the Trinity of God. Two, embrace the deity and mission of Jesus Christ. Three, accept the Bible as the inerrant word of God. Four, believe that we have access to God through prayer, praise, study, and worship. Five, acknowledge God's grace as his gifting of what we have not earned or deserved and his mercy as his protection from us receiving what we do deserve. Six, believe that God has no respect of person and that our love is reciprocated through our obedience to him. And seven, study, learn, and spread the gospel. Notice, not one of the seven principles of the Christian doctrine separates us by race, gender, class, or intellect. God in his infinite wisdom being the all-knowing God that he is, knew that the time would come when religiosity would reign and the name, purpose, his doctrine, and what his son Jesus hung on the cross and died for would be mocked, degraded, misinterpreted, and processed through the carnal minds of individuals, all to deceive and annihilate what he wants most from us. And that is a relationship with all of God's wisdom and knowledge intact and his ability to transcend time, his ability to transcend every culture. In Revelations 1, God announces to John that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He then told John, What he was about to reveal to him, he would need to write it in a book and send it to the churches. When John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him, he saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, he then saw exactly where the voice was coming from. Scriptures read, from a man clothed in a garment that went down to his feet, whose hair was like wool and white as snow, 
whose eyes were a flame of fire and whose feet were like burnt bronze and whose voice was like the sound of many waters. The physical description of what John saw was undisputably what we would refer to as a black man. But don't let that fact feed or magnify the carnality of your mind into thinking that any race is superior to God or is the preferred race of dominion or even has VIP access to the kingdom of God. It is amazing how those with such a desire for superiority want to also claim righteousness when the righteousness of God stems from a spirit of humility. Your mind is set on ruling others. If your mind is set on being praised or looked upon as superior, that is a mindset that needs to be submitted to God in prayer because it is not of God. And you will never be used for all that God has ordained for your life. Again, God in his infinite wisdom knew that there would come a time when Satan would rule this world and uphold his position as the prince of air and that ungodliness would set the precedence for our norm and that in the midst of all that goes against his will and his way, God's human creation would oppress one another all for the sake of greed, power, selfishness, conceit. And he also knew that the darker skinned would be the butt of this oppressive standard. So again, God, with all of his infinite wisdom, revealed himself to John in skin that was the shade of burnt bronze and with hair that was like wool. It's like God was screaming at us that those who seek to oppress should be careful of their tactics, of their desires, of their practices, of their intentions, and recognize that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end, and also the one who dwells and lives in all, including in the ones many seek to oppress, the ones many will count as less than. Not only does the depiction of God revealing himself to John as a black man confirmed that God transcends race, but it also validates and crushes all false accusations that claim the Bible as compromise. Think about it. Let's just rip off the band-aid and confront what is real. White men have been owners of the companies which have printed the Bible since the beginning of its mass production, but never has the scripture describing Jesus as a black man ever been compromised, tainted, adjusted, or deleted. Let's go deeper. While blacks were enslaved to whites, they still never changed the words of the Bible, although they forbid us to read so that we would not know the truth. But now we can read, but don't. I know there are some religions, cults, and belief systems that want to exalt one race of people as a chosen people. But God did not create humans with any one of them superior or inferior to another. God did not take the time to uniquely create us 
assign us purpose and mandate that we give him praise while simultaneously dividing our abilities, our access to him, or our call to walk in the spirit of dominion by race, lineage, or the color of our skin. In Romans 2, 11 through 6, the scripture tells us that God has no respect of person. He has no favorites. He has no favorites. God judges and will choose who enters into the kingdom of heaven based on each one's established relationship with him and those who have chosen to obey his word. I know some of your heads are spinning with questions. What does it mean then when the Bible refers to a chosen people? Throughout biblical accounts, the people of Israel were referred to as a chosen people, but they were not chosen as God's favorites. The word chosen refers to those who are held at a higher standard, those who know what it's like to be oppressed and have God go to the extent of parting the Red Sea to free them from their oppressor. The very first time God makes any reference to an elect or chosen group of people is in Exodus 19, after he sent Moses to free the Israelites from the enslaved confines of Pharaoh. In verses 5 through 6, God is telling Moses what to say to the people as it reads, Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Notice God's criteria for being his specially treasured, has nothing to do with one's origin, lineage, race, creed, color, class, status. Being an elect and one who is chosen as a treasure to God has to do with one's willingness to walk according to his will, to walk according to his way, to walk sanctified. And 2 Timothy 2, 21 further verifies as it reads, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And Luke 12, 48 seals the deal. As the scripture sums up, exalting the principle that to whom much is given, much is required. The chosen people of God are those who have accepted that he is God, who knows him, who stands on the fact that they know that they are nothing without him. Chosen people bow and hold sacred the mandates and commandments of God. Chosen people are those who love God and understand that his love language is obedience. Because of Israel's relationship with God, their responsibility to him involved keeping and preserving his word. In Joshua 22 and 5, the scripture reads, But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, 
to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul. Israel's relationship with God as a chosen people meant they were obligated to pick up the mantle of being kingdom witnesses and teachers. The scripture says you will be for me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. We need to be very careful not to allow anyone to come to us pushing an entire doctrine based on a single scripture or parts of the Bible. For when the doctrine is built on the basis of a buffet rule, meaning picking and choosing what one likes, you will find that it will be inconsistent and conflict with the wills and the ways of God as well as with the message of Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment if a judge attempted to make a decision on a case in which he was absent for more than half of the trial and was only committed to reading a few lines of every other page of the court transcript. We would claim that as unfair unrighteous and even petition for him to recuse himself or for the case to be closed as a mistrial. We tend to do the same thing with God. Passing judgment on others and creating our own doctrines based on bits and pieces of God's holy transcript without studying the who, what, when, and why of the whole case outlined from Genesis to Revelation. Again, God has no respect to person. God is not looking to exalt anyone based on their lineage, race, creed, color, class, or status. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, the scripture tells us that God looks at the heart. Do you not realize how crazy and irresponsible God would have to be to choose people based on demographics, race, or lineage, and then exalt them above all of the rest, not considering their character, not considering their hearts, not even considering their commitment to obeying his word. We have to grasp how essential a personal, individual, one-on-one relationship with God really is. We will never gain access to the kingdom of God based on religious affiliations, our family name, where we were born, the color of our skin, our political affiliations. Be mindful. A husband and wife, as holy as matrimony is and as secret, sacred as it is to God, each husband, each wife will have to stand before God as individuals and give an account for decisions that they made individually. Please also know that any religion or doctrine that promotes any kind of hierarchy or bias, be it based on gender, color, class, status, or intellect, is not of God. In Romans 16, verses 17 through 18, the scripture reads, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, 
but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive people. Don't allow Satan to deceive you and get hung up on the logistics of organized religion. Logistics are those things that are created, formulated, executed, and validated by man which may not dictate, facilitate, or elevate the wills or ways of God and certainly do not secure you a place in the kingdom of heaven. If we allow ourselves to fall prey to religiosity and organizations, we will find ourselves living outside of the will and the ways of God. But if we uphold the Christian doctrine, the principles, we will then be declared as God's chosen, his special treasure. There's a whole lot wrong with the institution of religion, but do not let the fallacies of people the images, the segregation, the bias, the prejudice, and the attitudes turn you away from Christian doctrine. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewing of your mind requires that you study, dissect, and commit yourselves to the studying of the Word of God in its entirety, not taking one scripture or biblical narrative and developing individual truths. God needs no help creating principles and standards. He set those in place before he created man. They have not and will not change. What God does need to fulfill his divine plan is hearts for him and obedience. If you have never given your life to Christ, or if you have given your life to Christ, but never specifically committed to embracing the exaltation of Christian doctrine, and your desire is to be one of God's chosen, one of his special treasures, please simply just repeat after me, Lord, I come before you, imperfect and flawed not superior or inferior to anyone. I first ask that you forgive me for every sin that I have committed by commission or omission. For I know that all sin is against you. Lord, I ask that you wipe my slate clean. My heart's desire is to please you. To be counted as one of your special treasures. I commit my body and my soul to embrace and elevate the examples and principles your son Jesus walked out and died for. Lord, I commit my mind to be constantly and consistently renewed by your word and guided by your Holy Spirit. For I accept that I am nothing without you. To you I give glory and honor. Amen. I thank each of you for joining Bible Deliverance today and I certainly hope that the word that went forth 
was edifying. And that is something that you want to share with others. And something that prompts a deeper relationship between you and God. I urge you all to go on our website. We have some things coming up for the new year. We will be doing special online classes. Um, I'm excited about what, what's going forth. So just keep watching us. If you have not subscribed to get updates, go on our website and just put in your information to be to receive the updates. Again, we are truly, truly grateful um, that you chose to spend time with us today. And we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in this incredible season that we lift up and honor the birth of Jesus Christ. Be blessed. Bread of life sent down from glory. Many things you were on earth, a holy king, a carpenter. But you are the living word, Come on. Come on, Houston, you can say it one time with us. Send down from glory. Many things. Come on, somebody say it. Awesome rule. Gentile redeemer. God with us, God with us, the living truth, and what a friend we have in you. This is what we like to call you, Jesus, Jesus, that's what we call you, yeah, you were born in a manger, but on a tree you died to save humanity, Jesus, Jesus, that's what we call you. Born in a manger, born but on a tree, 
Deus, vai! 